Well, here we are again, another edition of What Barry's Talking About. From Barry 360, I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, a police interaction with a person in distress tied up an intersection in South Barry for almost 24 hours before Christmas. Many questions from the public during that time, not many answers from police, but for good reason. We get a behind-the-scenes look at what transpired and why the public was put on a need-to-know basis. The world has Greta Thunberg battling for the environment. Lake Simcoe has grade 10 and Barry student Zoe Bystroff doing its bidding. We get to know her and the work she's doing through her group, Youthful Lake Simcoe. A rough weekend for the Barry Colts as they try to keep up in the OHL playoff race, but there have been some positives. We take a look at them. The Barry Junior Sharks are past the halfway mark of their season. We get caught up with Coach Dwayne Eldridge and Cope Service Dogs has an important and fun event coming up to help it continue with its work. We get the conversation started after this. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely, joined by Peter Leon, the communications coordinator for Barry Police. Couple of things we want to talk about today. Situation just before Christmas with uh, a person in distress at Maple View and Young. Turned out to be a long, drawn out affair. People on social media not really understanding what was going on, why it took so long, why roads were closed, why the trains couldn't go through. So we thought we should get you in to explain what exactly is going on and why police treated that situation in that manner. Thanks, Dan. And and I think, you know what, this is something that we need to address because we don't normally see occurrences like this take place in our community that last for prolonged periods of time. And we're looking at almost a 24-hour time frame that it did uh, last for. And yeah, we, we understand that people were inconvenienced and, and it meant people couldn't make appointments and businesses perhaps weren't able to offer the services that they normally would provide. But it comes down to one thing, and people can never forget the core function of any police service is focused on public safety. And we've got their safety in mind. We've got the safety of individuals who we might be dealing with. And that was the situation. We had a person who was in crisis. That person needed our full undivided attention. And you can't have vehicles traveling through the area uh, doing what they do, horns honking, brakes squealing, that type of thing. People need to be able to focus 100% on that individual And that's what we did. We brought in trained professionals from our service. We cordoned off the area immediately and did everything that we did in the interest of public safety. And uh, let's let's be honest, uh, the public doesn't need to know everything that is going on in that situation at the time. Uh, there were questions raised about uh, the trains not being allowed to go through, and uh, that could be a, a trigger for somebody who's in distress. Most definitely. And, and I think we in law enforcement have learned from other incidents that have occurred, even in our country, and most recently incidents that have occurred in, uh, in Eastern Canada. And when you look back at those occurrences, social media played a very, very big role. And it plays a very big role in, in being able to communicate upcoming weather events, that type of thing. But there are times where we have to limit our activity on these platforms, again, so that we have the best interests of everybody in mind. Uh, an individual who's in crisis, we don't know if they've got a device with them that is able to follow 
X or Facebook or any other platform. And if things are being posted out there and they're reading that, it, it could distract them from what we're trying to do. And that is de-escalate a very volatile situation that sadly could go either way. During the course of that period, you had officers coming in and out, negotiators coming in and out, and, and that can have an impact on how things are going too because somebody's passing it off to somebody else and did they pass off all the information that they needed to? There's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that took place on that. And, and I took some time uh, to, to just identify uh, uh, the resources that we had. We had uniform initially that were assisted right away by our criminal investigation division. We brought in highly trained members of our service that are crisis negotiators. We had the canine unit. We had tactical support. We brought in our Rescue One, our armored personnel vehicle. Uh, We brought in the command post. We set up initially and then had to re-establish a a better location that would best serve the area. And there was some misinformation because we were set up initially in a parking lot of a financial institution. And people automatically assumed, and again, because we were there, that there was something that happened at that location. Where we were focused on was a little further up the road in a church parking lot. Uh, which, where we had plenty of space, but again, we needed to remember the safety of our involved members of our service as well. If if I recall correctly, too, you, you the police were quick to to note that it was not a bank robbery, that it was a person in distress, and that there was no concern for the safety of others in the area necessarily. It wasn't any need for people to lock their doors and windows. That's correct, and and as the situation did continue. Um, we were planning well ahead. We had an on-site incident commander that was preparing to uh, get additional resources there because as, as the negotiations continued well into the overnight area or, or time frame, um, we knew that we needed to bring somebody in, that our folks couldn't stay there on ground doing what they were doing. Uh, fatigue does become a major factor for us as well. So we were able to reach out to the Peel Regional Police Service, and they came uh, with a full tactical team, a crisis negotiation team. They brought in uh, their experts, and we literally handed everything over to them during the daylight hours. So they had a briefing, they had knowledge. Our folks were able to be relieved in their positions, and negotiations were able to continue. You just can't set that up and hand it off. You have to let the individual that you're dealing with know that there's other people now that are coming that are going to try to help them and help deal and resolve with the situation in a peaceful manner. And they were able to do that shortly after 3 o'clock that following day. The public should also know that our officers were prepared to come back in that evening if it continued through the overnight hours continue with the negotiations, and we had taken it one step further and prepared for the Ontario Provincial Police to come in and provide assistance the following day if it was necessary and required. You have to think hours in advance as an incident commander, not just dealing with the situation at hand. Certainly you have to deal with that, but you need to to go beyond, and we were making arrangements uh, to do that as well. Thing people have to remember, because uh, as we alluded to, a lot of people were frustrated. They couldn't get to places they were going through their normal route. They had to make a detour. Oh, well, that happens. 
even in a snowstorm sometimes. Mm-hmm. But police are looking to keep things under control, make sure everybody is safe, and they have to take certain steps. The problem is on social media, everybody starts speculating and everybody says this, and somebody saw that, and somebody else heard this. And that's where you get all that misinformation. So obviously very important for the police to say what they can, but everybody has to understand that there are certain things that can't be revealed just yet. That's correct. And and I think, you know, we, we use social media as a tool and a resource to communicate the way everybody else does as well. And we will provide details where and when we can. Uh, one of the things that we did identify was it was an isolated incident. We didn't put out anything where people were told to, to stay exactly where they were, that they couldn't go out. But again, people get curious. And when you venture out, Sometimes you can't venture back in. And, you know, uh, the safest place for you is in your home until the situation resolves itself. You know, people can be curious, but again, they can turn on their local news station on their radio and find out exactly what's happening without having to leave the comfort of their home and putting themselves in a position where they can't necessarily get back in. Uh, if you've got a pet and you had to walk your pet that day, perhaps you'd have to redesign your route a little bit uh, to, that takes you to a different area so you're not in the area where the police activity is taking place. You know, these are simple things that we can talk about now and people can remember in the event that something like this happens again. But in all my years in policing, I can honestly tell you I've never seen a situation that has continued as long as this one did But in the end, it ended the way we wanted it to end, peacefully, where the individual that was in crisis uh, received the care, the assistance, and the help that they needed so that they could move forward and and get the the help that they needed to, to make themselves a better person. So patience for everybody in a situation like that, going to be inconvenienced a little bit, but uh, you have to understand that police have a job to do, and there's a certain way to get that job done for everybody's safety and for the person in crisis in, in this situation. Most definitely. And, you know, uh, we appreciate the the public's patience. We can understand, as I said at the outset, that there were some people that were upset, um, but we do everything we do. Uh, with their best interests in mind and and always focusing on public safety first and foremost. And let's not forget the impact this has on the officers who are taking part in that and the crisis negotiators who are taking mm-hmm. part. This is a very stressful situation. I mean, you, you're, you're trained for that kind of thing, but still when it happens, you don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know what kinds of responses you're going to get. You don't know how long it's going to take. And that takes a toll. It does. And there is no rule book when it comes to crisis negotiation. It will take as long as it takes. And in this case, it took almost 24 hours. Uh, If it had taken 48 hours, so be it. You can never lose sight of the goal of trying to de-escalate the situation so that it can be resolved peacefully and get the individual, in this case, the person in crisis, the help that they need and, and, and get them moving in the right direction. We don't want to see a situation that digresses, uh, derails and, and, and goes terribly wrong. Peter, thank you very much for dropping by. A grade 10 student in Barrie is leading an environmental charge in our region. Zoe Bystrov is the founder of Youthful Lake Simcoe. She stopped in recently for a chat with Barrie 360's Ian McLennan about the work she and the group are doing. What was the trigger to do something? 
Yeah, so um, I think it was around the sixth grade. Um, there were a lot of conversations and discussions about preserving marine wildlife and uh, in the oceans. And I've had a, a really, I've had a passion for animals and wildlife since I was a little kid. And so I got even more interested in this topic around that time. And so when these conversations were kind of brought up in the classroom, I wanted to get involved. But I was also thinking to myself, is there something kind of similar that could be applied onto the Lake Simcoe, something in our own backyard? And also around this time, I was walking along with my, uh, with my family and my friends along the Lake Simcoe shoreline, and I noticed how much trash accumulation was forming. And this really broke my heart, and I wanted to see if there's something that could be done to kind of help preserve the, the Lake Simcoe for the next generations to come. And so this is when me and a couple of my friends in my neighborhood, we gathered together and we created the community group Youth for Lake Simcoe. So tell us uh, what your organization does in terms of possibly cleanups, but, and do you do any lobbying of uh, uh, politicians uh, in terms of uh, maintaining the health of Lake Simcoe? Yes, of course. So um, as you mentioned, we do a lot of cleanups at Youth for Lake Simcoe, uh, specifically on uh, the Lake Simcoe shoreline and wooden areas, as well as um, on local parks. Um, those are some of the main areas that we like to target. But we are also very fond of doing plogging. And plogging is a type of activity which is kind of attached in a sense. It's like a cleanup while doing leisure activity at the same time. So let's say, for example, someone is walking in a wooden area with their dog and they spot some garbage along the trail. Uh, they can take a, like a bag and some gloves and go and pick up that garbage and that would be considered plogging. Uh, we also like to do plogging on the Georgian Bay, so a lot of times me and my family we go to the beach, we see some garbage, uh, unfortunately, along the shoreline, and we go and we pick it up. Um, as well, we do a lot of school presentations. So, so the school presentation, we have done three so far, which resulted in three school-based cleanups, and we do it really just to kind of educate the youth on the importance of the Lake Simcoe and to kind of give them a hands-on learning experience afterward. So after we complete the presentation, we have the students go do a cleanup um, someplace close to their school so they can kind of see the issue, see what the impact of their action is and how they can get involved. And to date, uh, since we started uh, the Youth for Lake Simcoe group in 2020, we have done a total of 87 cleanups um, and 18 plugging events. And we have collected 147 bags in total and 88 of those are garbage, and 59 of them are of recyclable materials. Um, as well, um, another little activity that we like to do is really just to kind of promote the beauty of the lake and its importance in our community, as I feel that at the group we kind of call the Lake Simcoe the jewel of our community. So we take a lot of pictures of wildlife and Lake Simcoe sunsets and just general of the lake, and we like to post them on our Twitter account, like or X, um, at Youth for Simcoe. And over there, we just did a, well, we're, we're, we're finishing up a series. It's called Birds and Berries and Berry. So we kind of post like a different birds that are living okay. um, along the Lake Simcoe shoreline that we see and just to kind of give like a little fun fact and to kind of educate people on also the, the, the amazing amount of wildlife species and the quantity of wildlife species that live on the lake. And what sort of lobbying efforts do you do with uh, the politicians, whether it's at a city level, provincial, federal? Uh, I mean, we haven't really done any much of a uh, political sort of activities right. yet. It has been mostly sort of the cleanup activities and uh, the school presentations. And we kind of always like to have that. We have like the saying at the group 
um, firstly, that when we're doing our cleanups, we kind of, we don't think about the cleanups as just picking up the garbage. We think of it as an activity um, to kind of help keep our planet clean and to preserve the Lake Simcoe. Also, I feel that when doing these school presentations, we kind of give that almost like an advocacy sort of element to the group. Right. Um, and we're kind of trying to, you know, kind of, um, kind of like try to include more youth in joining the group and trying to, and trying to kind of almost in a sense elevate and kind of inspire the idea for other kids to go in there do, and do their own activities around the Lake Simcoe. What is the number, I mean, the number of concerns about Lake Simcoe? Is there anything in particular that stands out that concerns you um, in, uh, personally or as a group? I think one of the main big concerns that we have um, on the Lake Simcoe, especially in our, in our Lake Simcoe group, is that uh, it's really about the microplastics. So um, Lake Simcoe serves as a, a source of drinking water for many municipalities who live around it, including Barrie, which means that a lot of people who live around the lake, they use the Lake Simcoe's water as their drinking water. And unfortunately, that means that any pollution or any plastic garbage pollution that happens in the watershed will at some point come into Lake Simcoe and then will affect the drinking water all around and it. And these are like rivers, streams, tributaries that enter the lake. And you used exactly. an example uh, prior to our chat about a beach ball. Yes, a beach ball, yes. So let's say, for example, if someone would be to go and litter a plastic bottle or a beach ball, they might think, okay, you know what? It's like, it's, it's not going to impact. It's not going to do any issue. It's not going to do any harm. But in reality, at some point, it's going to take a really long time for it to decompose. Actually, one plastic bottle takes 500 years to decompose. And during that process, it leaks a lot of toxic chemicals into the water and at some point becomes microplastics, which is a huge concern for our group. So to everyone like out there, um, like kind of just we, we have another saying in our little group. And we always say that there is absolutely no garbage fairy. So there is no little magical creature that is going to come and pick up any litter that is on the streets. So please, I, I ask anyone, if you have a couple spare moments um, in your day or if you see some garbage like along a shoreline or in a wooden park or wooden area, just even like a 15-minute cleanup, just picking up those little pieces of garbage will do a really positive impact for our local environment and for the Lake Simcoe. And if uh, young people want to get involved, they, uh, can they go to your website and, and, and go from there? Yes. So uh, uh, at the moment, we are hoping to get some funding to uh, create a website. But if someone would like to get in contact with us, the best way to contact is through our email. It's um, uh, youthforlakesimcoe@bell.net, Or um, they can also uh, look at our uh, Twitter or X page. We do a lot of updates on our cleanups and a lot of like uh, fun facts and a little pictures that we take on the Lake Simcoe. So that's another way how to kind of see what we're up to. But yeah, I, I definitely, if anyone feels open to join the group, we have a membership coming out in the new year. So kind of a, a sort of way to join the group and to have your own activities to do within the group. So um, definitely uh, like look forward to, to seeing that. And what age are you looking at? What, what age consideration is there? Well, I think anyone can join the group, really. There, there was absolutely no age limit. Um, we are open to anyone who wants to join the group. Anyone can make a big difference in this world and... I mean, I'm just, I, I, I'm really, I'm really happy for anyone who wants to join. Again, you can follow Youthful Lake Simcoe on X at Youth for Lake Simcoe, and you can reach the group by email at youthfullakesimcoe at bell.net. This sounds like fun. 
Cope Service Dogs is holding a fundraising event February 1st. It calls Funny Bone, a night of comedy. Barry 360's MJ gets the details and learns more about Cope Services from board member Tracy Baker. She also got to cuddle with a new recruit, Noel. You guys have a really cool event uh, happening called... And we should mention we should. our other guests. Yes, here. the most important guest. This is Noelle. Yeah. And she's a nine-week-old Cope service puppy. She is sweet. She's and adorable. Yeah. Oh, and she loves the radio already, right? <laughs> she's a star. She only does this when there's a microphone around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's a natural. So um, Noelle is part, of course, the Cope service dogs, and eventually yes. she's going to be going to someone who really needs her. Um, before we talk about your event, tell me a little bit about about your organization and, sure. and how you guys help out. Okay. Cope service dogs uh, raises and trains service dogs for people living with mobility issues. Um, They also go into the community as facility dogs, such as with hospice or children's advocacy. Uh, What makes the COPE service dogs program unique from other service organizations is that uh, the first year that they are in training, they spend in school with students. And the students that train them are at risk of not graduating. They are dealing with possibly physical or mental health issues. They may be uh, have, have shown suicidal tendencies or have been bullied. And um, knowing that there's a dog their dog waiting for them at school really uh, helps motivate them to get out of bed in the morning and go to school. And we're really thrilled with the um, success rate of the program. 92% of those students graduate from high school. So it's tremendously important uh, program for their first year. Um, In their second year of training, Um, they go into refinement training where they learn upward of 90 commands before they're placed with their forever person or with their facility. That's amazing. So a dog Mm -hmm. will be about two years old before they're, uh, before they're placed officially? Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. Okay. And the program I should mention, given that we raise and train them, um, it is, it does cost about $30,000 to train one dog to place a dog. Um, So, you know, our fundraising and our uh, events are very important. Absolutely. Yeah. And and when you have stats like that, like 92% of children, you're not mm-hmm. just helping dogs and people down the line, you're helping these students and yeah. that's like so worth it. It's yes. just helping everybody around. Yeah. Um, so like you said, it, it does cost a lot and you guys yeah. have a really fun uh, fundraiser happening. We do. It's our first funny bone. Get it? Funny mm-hmm. bone. <laughs> what do you think uh, of that, Noelle? <laughs> Yeah, no comment. No, no comment. <laughs> um, comedy night. Uh, we're thrilled to be uh, hosting at Michael and Marion's, um, and it takes place on Thursday, February the first. Um, and tickets are available now online. We're thrilled to be um, to have um, Andrea Murray, who is our local uh, comedic. What does she describe herself as? Um, sassy and saucy stand-up comic. She is our MC, 
And we are also featuring uh, Jen Sacato is our feature comedian. And our headliner is two-time Canadian Comedy Award winner Sandra Battaglini. And both of these ladies are coming to us from Toronto. Amazing. Is, yeah. How much um, are tickets? To tickets are $75. And the event starts at 8 p.m. Uh, we have a one-hour mix and mingle cocktail for th- um, uh, nibbles. Thank you. Thank you, Michael and Marion's, uh, beverages. There will be a cash bar and most importantly, there will be Coke puppies. So people can firsthand, um, see them, interact with them and, uh, maybe gain more of an understanding of uh, the program and, and the puppies. It is a 19 plus, um, event. The show starts at nine and the, uh, the belly laughs begin. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, the doggies get some belly rubs too while you oh, guys are there. Oh, I have no doubt about that. I just would love to acknowledge the generosity of our sponsors. Of course, Cool FM, Rock 95 and Berry 360. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are honored to include Landshark Lager as our presenting sponsor. Michael and Marion's, of course, and Simcoe Print Solutions. We couldn't do any of this without them. For more information on the Funny Bone event or Cope services in general, the website is copedogs.org. What Barry's talking about is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry and Simcoe County have to offer and more. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any podcast distributor. Still to come on What Barry's Talking About, we talk hockey. Updates on the Barry Colts and the Barry Junior Sharks. Now this. It's cool to care. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling 1-888-2-DONATE. Cool to Care is brought to you by the Peggy Hill Team. Keeping it real all the way to sold. Reach out now at PeggyHill.com. It's Cool to Care with 107.5 Cool FM. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry360. I'm Dan Blakely. Not a great weekend on the ice for the Barry Colts, but the coach and GM saw a few things he liked. Our Will Conkin gets us caught up with Colts writer and broadcaster Gene Pereira. Let's get to it, Gene. Looking at last week, the Colts fell 7-3 against the Wolves on Thursday, uh, picked up a 7-zip win over the Ice Dogs on Saturday, uh, then they uh, lost to the Wolves again on Sunday, uh, 6-3. Um, a, a standout from the stretch was uh, goalie Sam Hillbrandt. In the Ice, Dog, uh, Ice Dogs game especially, he notched his first OHL uh, shutout, stopped all 42 shots. Uh, you've liked his game for a bit now, eh? Yeah, it was a big game for the young netminder to get that shutout. You could tell his teammates... You know, the way he celebrated after, they really wanted to get him that shutout. And, you know, for Sam, again, he's such a great story. Kind of playing Junior C last year, a bit off the wire, and ends up playing at World Juniors. And, you know, the, when you look at the goaltending situation with Barry, I mean, obviously Ben West, an overager. If Thornton had come back, he would have been an overager. So there was some question to who was going to be the guy. And I think Ellibrand, uh, you know, is really kind of sealing the deal that he's going to be the number one goaltender. 
uh, here in the future. And, uh, you know, Saturday, again, you know, big game against Niagara, head-to-head, uh, a team that they're fighting for for that last playoff spot. And Sam was, again, just, uh, you know, really solid. And, uh, um, you know, he's been like that all year. Uh, just really composed goalie for a young goalie. And uh, that's what I love about him. He just, you know, always seems to be in position and uh, uh, to make the stop and, uh, you know, comes through in these big games like they did Saturday night. Let's talk about uh, Bodie Stewart. Uh, he, he's taken on a leadership role the past bit. Yeah, Stewart's one of those guys they acquired from Saginaw and, you know, didn't get much ice time last, yeah, last year with the Spirit, you know, in his first year. A guy that Barry really sees as a, a top six forward and, uh, you know, I think he was really starting to catch on there. And then what he, he got that shoulder injury uh, that kept him out for a few weeks. And, uh, you know, he'd come back and he hadn't played as well. And, and Marty Williamson was telling me that he kind of challenged him uh, to kind of step up in uh, uh, his game. And uh, I think, uh, you know, and then he comes back Saturday night and he was outstanding. Uh, I mean, he was all over the ice, uh, goal three assists, um, you know, and, and that's Bodie Stewart. He's a strong two-way forward. Uh, it's, it's the reason why he's on the central scouting uh, rankings. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that I think can really step up offensively as well. I think there's so much more there from Bodie uh, that we're going to see. But, you know, I mean, after the injury, it's too bad because he was playing really well before the injury. He can really see his game start to blossom. But he got injured, and it took him a couple of games back. But Saturday was a really nice game for Bodie. Another player who is uh, starting to see their game blossom is uh, Riley Patterson. Um, off air, you were saying uh, you're seeing a lot of good stuff from him. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, Marty Williamson thought that could step into the league and, 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 and be an impact fairly quickly. Uh, you know, one of the top tier two uh, junior A players uh, in Canada. And, uh, you, know, it, you know, like the OHL, look, it takes a little bit of time to kind of find your way, but. Uh, along with that line with his line mates of Bowdoin and Ty York, I mean they've just been Barry's best line here going on two months, and they've just been you know they just seem to be getting stronger and stronger. And a big part of that is Patterson. I mean his game is just taken to another level. Uh, you know we we've seen his ability to snipe goals. He's uh, second in rookie scoring uh, for goal scoring. Uh, but now we're starting to see the creative side with him. Uh, on Saturday he had a couple of great setups. And, um, you know, he's really taken his game to another level, and he's becoming an impact player. And, uh, you know, that's got to be exciting for Colts fans, uh, knowing that this is a guy that can step up and be a, a top four next year. I feel like we're uh, just running through the entire roster of guys that we like. But uh, adding to that for opportunity coming up, uh, Cole Bodwin uh, is away at the top prospects game. Like I said, that's an awesome opportunity for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look, this game is one of the more intense ones you see, even though you think, you know, but uh, those guys know what's at stake. And I think for Cole, you know, he's, uh, you know, just some rankings come out, you know, 30th. And, and uh, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, just works and works and works. When you see him on the ice, he never stops. And it's just great to see him get this opportunity. And, uh you know, from everything I hear about, you know, Hockey Canada loves him, scouts love this guy. He's really caught their attention, and it's that work ethic. He never stops working out there. He's a big body. Uh, he used that really well in front of the net. And, uh, you know, he kind of drives that line of Patterson and York with him. And, uh, 
you know, he's such a, such such a good example too. Even for him, he's just a second year guy, but he's another guy who's a great leader. And I'll, I'll tell you, well, like I've never seen anybody after a loss who's so sour. <laughs> this guy just wants to win uh, game in and game out, and those are the type of guys that you want to build around. Exactly right. So uh, next up for the Colts, they host Owen Sound uh, tonight, then Oshawa, and Connor Punnett as well comes to town on Saturday, and then up to North Bay on Sunday. Um, As always, thanks again, Gene. Thanks, Will. What Barry's talking about from Barry 360, I'm Dan Blakely, joined by the head coach of the Barry Junior Sharks women's hockey team, Dwayne Eldridge. Welcome back. Thanks, Dan. 17 games left in the regular season. What's left to do? Well, I, I, uh, I think we've learned an awful lot this year about how competitive the league is. Uh, every day you've got to show up. There's no easy games. Uh, I, having said that, I think we've been, um, we've been pleasantly surprised with how well we've competed and the success that we've had. Uh, the girls have worked extremely hard. Uh, they want to learn, and they're getting better because of it, and I think they're having great results. It's been a transitional year for you. You, you lost seven or eight players at the end of last season, I think, and uh, and, and then you were telling me before we, we sat down to chat that uh, injuries have been a, an issue as well. Yeah, we were very fortunate at the beginning, uh, first half of the year, even though it was very, very busy for us with you know three or four um, long weekend road trips, uh, injuries weren't a challenge. We were very lucky, uh, but lately it's been a problem. Um, and then we uh, we had Paige um, McGuire get an opportunity to go play professionally in Sweden that she took. Uh, we hadn't uh, seen that coming, so we're down another player. Um, I think last weekend we played with three or four injuries. So yeah, it's an adjustment and um, play two, three games a weekend with uh, short short players it certainly provides lots of opportunity but uh, a lot of fatigue sets in too wanted to ask you because there have been uh, two or three times this season you've had a, a long stretch between games too how big an impact does that have um i think in both instances so we took a weekend off because of shark fest and then over christmas i think it definitely helped a lot of people um mentally physically you know, we've been very, very busy. We played 37 games before Christmas. And when you factor in practices and the amount of uh, 12 nights in hotels, that's an awful lot. Uh, There's they're still young, young students and they still have school and other things they want to do. So I think those breaks uh, helped us for sure. But you were saying the team has gelled together really well. They get along well. They're, they're focused. They're hardworking. Yeah, it, it's... Um, you know, you hear lots of uh, people use the word culture, uh, and this group has created a great culture. I mean, from a coaching staff perspective, uh, I don't think we take very much credit for that at all. That's all on them. Our leadership group has made sure that everybody knew uh, that came in is it feels in- included. Um, and it's fun to just sit back and watch. I mean, uh, they have a uh, – they're into the spike ball tournament that happens before every game now that's – Extremely competitive, extremely loud. Everybody <laughs> in the arena knows what's going on. But I think it's just uh, it's just symbolic of how much fun they have together. Have you seen an impact from uh, the PWHL, the Professional Women's Hockey League, that started up uh, beginning of January? Have you seen a trickle effect in terms of how it impacts your players, number one, and interest in the team from outside? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have been at the rink for a number of uh, days now where PWHL games have been on. And so we throw it on the TV. The girls are paying attention. They're watching. They're making comments. 
conversation around the rink uh, just with everybody. Um, obviously, people are, you know, watching just being um, from Barry, but the league in general is creating a, a lot of buzz. Uh, I go to work. I have coworkers that never watched women's hockey before. Uh, they watch it, the physicality, the speed, and you're, you're generating a lot of fans, which, you know, long term, that's going to have an impact on us for sure. Absolutely. Um, playoffs are coming up. Uh, everybody gets into the playoffs. There are two different tiers. You're still looking to get into that top tier. Yeah, I, I, th- I think right now we have a legitimate chance of getting into that top eight, which when you um, when you look at where we started the year and kind of what uh, realistic goals and expectations, getting into that group would certainly exceed where we thought we could get. Um, and I think it's a reality. I think it's a real possibility for us to get in that group of top eight, which would be the first time we've ever been there. Uh, and that would, uh, I think, say an awful lot about the team. Still, it's it's about the experience, right? Winning is one thing, but uh, just this whole team experience is so, so special. Yeah, I think, I think from a coach perspective, it's how many lessons can you learn in hockey that you can apply to life as you move on? And uh, I think for us, that's a message that we deliver on a constant basis. Uh, making commitments, hard work, uh, setting goals. I think those are all things that aren't just hockey-related, that they're life-related. And you're, you're based in the community. You're, you're very uh, intertwined with the community. Had a special night uh, a couple of games ago, uh, Military Appreciation Night. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, we want to do as an organization, as, as, as a team, is reach out to community um, and different organizations within the community. Uh, obviously, for me, I work out at CFB Board, and I see every day the sacrifice that the men and women of the military make, uh, time away from their family, the challenges they have. And I just think uh, creating some awareness and recognizing them for the sacrifice they make is important. And I think it's great for our team to step out. We had some custom jerseys made, um, camel jerseys that the girls absolutely love. Uh, we thought they would be a one-day thing, but... It's kind of worked into it looks like it's going to be the jersey of choice for Sunday home games now. Um, so I think those things are important for us. Have you seen an uptick in interest from the public in, in the women's game, in, in the Barry Junior Sharks game? Are you getting more people out into the, the arena? Yeah, and it, interestingly enough, on that Military Appreciation Day, which it was a bad weather day, it was really ugly. Yeah. Uh, we probably had our biggest crowd of the year. And I think some of that had to do with, you know, what we were doing on that day. But I... I'm confident that, that a lot of it's happening because of the PWHL and the exposure it's getting. I mean, you can't go anywhere now without there's something on TV, they they do it on YouTube. Um, it, it's amazing. You have a number of women who have played with the organization, who are still with the organization. They're, they're coaching at different levels and everything else. That's uh, really gratifying. Oh, I, I, it is probably one of the things that I think the organization is doing very well right now. Uh, we have a number of ladies that are you know, running some of our most competitive teams. Uh, Kaylee Powers with the uh, U18 team. You've got Sammy Reed, uh, U, our U15 team. Samantha Wright with our U9s. And then with our junior team, uh, Rebecca Bauhaus. Uh, all of these ladies have played college hockey. Uh, they have tremendous life experiences to share. But there's also uh, a communication um, level that they have with the players uh, that that is invaluable. And I think they're great role models. Uh, they're very intelligent uh, ladies, every one of them. Uh, they understand the game. Uh, and the thing that I've realized very quickly is they're also very competitive. So uh, they they uh, they push the girls. 
I think that they can they can have conversations uh, in a different way than the typical guy coaches can, uh, and they're doing a great job. And I think the association is a great spot with the number of females that we've got coming in, taking those key roles as role models. You need to be careful. Somebody be taking your job. Yeah, you know what? Ultimately, if we if uh, we started last year bringing Kaylee in this kind of a mentorship program, Rebecca's come in um, sort of along the same lines. Uh, and if we do our things right, then honestly, that's right. I see it going. I think, I think uh, you know, those ladies are more than capable of running our team. Um, and I think I could see our role down the road being what can we do to support them to keep moving forward? Because I think they're more than capable and can do a great job. All right. For those who haven't got the bug yet to come out and, and watch the Barry Sharks play, give us the pitch. Yeah. So uh, obviously uh, now with the, uh, with the PWHL, and a new uh, long-term opportunity for girls. I think you're going to see our league uh, continue to grow. It's going to get better. Uh, kids have a dream now. It's not just watching the NHL. They can be pro hockey players. Uh, and I think you're going to find, just like the guys, the grassroots level is with the Barry Junior Sharks. Um, and you're not going to be disappointed. I think you're going to really enjoy the quality of play. It's a great brand of hockey. Been out to see it many times. And uh, people would be surprised. Very surprised because they've got this idea of what women's hockey is, is, is all about, and it's, it's quite a game. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how the physicality in the PWHL filters down through college and ended our ranks. And one of the things we've already identified is, you know, um, in the early 2000s, I was a skills instructor for the Ontario Minor Hockey Association. We did a lot of uh, body checking clinics and things like that, introduction for the guys uh, I can see that having to come back into the female game pretty soon mm-hmm. because if if they allow that physicality to stay, it is going to filter down. So there's going to be a whole lot of growth uh, in development for coaches and for players. There's going to be an adjustment for referees. So I see a major transition happening in the girls' game in the coming years. Oh, I remember when uh, my boys were playing minor hockey and they got to a certain level when when body checking uh, became a, a thing, and uh, there were there were practices that were strictly how to take a check. Yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, obviously today there's far more awareness of concussions and and um, and injuries, uh, and so. If that's the direction it's going to go, we're going to have to make sure we do a really good job of teaching kids, you know, how to make that contact, but also how to take it. And I think there's going to be a whole level of development that's going to have to happen now that uh, really hasn't been a priority, but it's going to have to be for sure. All right. A few home games left. They're all at East Bay Field Community Centre. People can uh, latch on to uh, dates and times uh, on the website, which is? Yeah, BarryJuniorSharks.com. Best of luck the rest of the way. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Dan. Have a good day. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian, MJ, and Will for their input, to Matt Ladder for his technical expertise, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on X at Barry360, on our website, barry360.com, and there's our daily Kickstart podcast available from any streaming service and on our website. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.